VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast. But before we get into that, what, dear listener, are you doing on June 13th and 14th? Well, if you're in the drinks industry, you should mark your calendar, especially if you are in the New York area or in the vicinity where you can get here pretty easily, even if that's a flight, because Bar Combat Brooklyn is back at Industry City. BCB is a great chance to network with peers, learn about new trends and techniques, and listen in on panels led by industry experts. So get your tickets at barconventbrooklyn.com, and we will see you there. You will see us there because we we're all, be there. our logo's on the lanyard, too. So like <laughs> you'll definitely see us there. But uh, yeah, I, BCB's fun every year. Yes. And like, like walking yeah. around seeing people. I cannot wait to hear what you guys drank there. I feel like the origins of the conversation about rum chata started at that BCB. It oh, did. yes, it did. It did, like a few years ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still when BCB was in the Greenpoint location. Yeah, who knows what whatever shall we discover next. Adam's favorite <laughs> tactic is to wait around until the end so they pour us the good shit. As, well, especially at the Buffalo Trace. <laughs> yeah. They pour the good the shit Sazerac. at the end. That's interesting. Well, Sazerac has like... They do this thing at their booth where they, they'll hold, like, all the really good shit back. Or they'll, like, mm. I mean, that's really smart. Or they'll, like, have you play a game. Bingo. I was going to say make you play a game <laughs> <laughs> so that you can, like, drink the good shit. But then, like, if you just kind of stick around, they'll be like, oh, okay, fine. Here's a pour of X, Y, or Z antique collection thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, a lot of, you know, it's, it's always interesting also to see, like, who shows up, who doesn't. Because yep. it's obviously not as big as Tails. Um, but it's a uh, a really, really great experience. So fun. Speaking of good shit that yeah. we've been drinking. What have you been drinking, Zach? Oh, I get to go first? Okay. Yeah. So I think the, the most fun I had over uh, over the last weekend was uh, drinking a, a prickly pear and lime sour uh, called Millie. Great, great name. Uh, Millie. From, yeah, from Wander Brewing up in Bellingham. Uh, so... You know, 80 odd miles north of Seattle. Uh, just like a beautiful bright pink I, prickly pear. So I remember being fascinated as a kid by prickly pear. Like just the concept that you could like eat a part of a cactus was really wild to me. I don't really, I think I just, you know, thought of the desert and cactuses as being like deeply inhospitable to all life or at least to people. So there was always like, you know, you'd see like occasionally I would see like a, a, you know, like a documentary or something where someone was you know talking about prickly pear or like you know the animals of the desert were eating it so it was just i don't know it was like a weirdly exotic fruit i suppose you know now as a jaded adult i've tasted it before and it's like you know fine uh but it was just it was it was fun oh, to have this like bear. over the weekend to be like oh you know yeah there's like still kind of a weird thing when someone says prickly pear to me i'm like oh it sounds so exotic so and it was, it was, it sold. was good cool sold it was good yeah it was it was tasty you know like there as we've discussed on the pod i probably way too many times there is there is a a kind of drinking occasion for me and i probably for the both of you were just like the only thing i really want is a beer and in this case it was like i was grilling and I wanted a beer, and the the two go uh, very well together, at least in my in my opinion. So I don't know. Nice. You two maybe have had more exciting drinking out occasions over the last little while, or maybe fewer. I don't know. Joanna, what Joanna, about you? What do you, what do you, you took a big trip. What did yes, you drink? We yeah. went to, yes, we went to the Berkshires over the Memorial Day holiday weekend, and I did have a lot of good stuff to drink. Um, the standout, though, was a bottle of rosé that I brought <laughs> from the office. Yeah, well, that also did make our rosé list. Yes, really excellent. I've never had Colfo- 
Colfuck before. Sorry, how do you say this brand? Anyway, uh, Intra the Wild. Winemonger is the distributor and importer here in New York right now. Yeah. Um, Austrian recently. Austrian, no, Blaufunkish. No, Blaufunkish. Yeah, Austrian rosé. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was excellent. Evan was like, I think this is the best rosé I've ever had in my life. It's very good. It was so good. So interesting, too. Yeah. Um, and then we also got a bunch of beer from the beer store from the local Berkshire Brewing Company. So like you went to a brewery. So so from the nope. beer store, you, oh, no. We went from to a, a beer store called Berkshire Brewing Company. No, we just went to a liquor store and got the local beer. I, that's like kind of one of my favorite things to do, even if the beer is not very good. Me too. I just love to get the local beer. Yeah, I like that too. If craft beer has any lasting legacy, that's its legacy that people yeah. like learned and fell in love with the idea of like drinking the local craft beer mm-hmm. in a place they were going for vacation. Yep. It's a lot of fun. Like never have it again. Never have it again. Um, but that's... You couldn't even remember the name. Berkshire Brewing Company. <laughs> I know. I'm just pretending that it was like some, you know, that was just the generic. You're like, well, maybe it was like a Berkshire Brewing. Yeah. And we got we got like a lager. We got a Kolsch, a few IPAs. Just fun. Fun. Checking out the local fair. Cool. We also went to um, the Prairie Whale, and which was is a restaurant there in Great Barrington. Awesome. And it's a former owner of Marlowe and Sons, right? Isn't that the deal? Yeah. But like he left the group, <clears throat> right? I believe so. Yeah. And I ordered a bottle of I'm it was a, it was like a chilled red. I'm blanking on what I ordered. Yeah. And the guy came over, I think it was the owner. And he was like, who ordered this? <laughs> and I was like, uh, and they all all my friends pointed at me and they were like, this was a good choice. Good for you. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, thank you. <laughs> you know, what's really funny. I've had that happen to me before, too. I'm sure Zach has as well. Like, it's like they, there's like that one bottle that's like, I don't know why, but it. People at the restaurant love it. And they're like, what do you do? What mm-hmm. do you do? Why do you, how did you know to order this? Mm-hmm. Did they ask you that? No. They were just like, they didn't ask cho- why. Yeah, he was they, just like, good choice. And then walked away. Yeah, and then he poured it for so us. So good. He also complimented the baby because he was sleeping in the corner. Oh, right, because this was the one where you went and they had a babysitter? Yeah. Yes. I really won that night. Yeah. I felt really good about myself. <laughs> <Won that night. laughs> baby slept. Yeah. G- good, good wine, wine order. choice. <laughs> like, boom, I'm done. Jim Burger. Um, no, I had the fried chicken. It's Ooh. excellent. And their biscuits there are amazing. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Do you want to write a piece about their biscuits and, and, re- and post the recipe? Sure. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing shade. <laughs> Joanna going back in time. Yeah, wow. Um, throwing, okay. throwing shade at people who go to places up north and take the biscuit recipe and <laughs> publish them in publications and say they're the best biscuit recipe ever. Uh, night right for the New York Times. Anyways. Adam, so, how are the biscuits uh, on the Jersey Shore? Um, yeah. They were non-existent. <laughs> um, I did. I did. Like it, the. I would say LBI was a lot of fun. Um, I made like I, people. You guys are gonna think like I'm obsessed with Phil Ward now, but I made the division bell. <laughs> it was excellent, and I made it for everybody. I made a picture of them. He's a good person to be obsessed with. He's kind of a cool, cool guy. Cool guy. Good bartender. Yeah. Talented. Made created a lot of uh, delicious drinks and. The division bell was one of them. What's in it again? Remind me. So it's it's like so he, it's another riff. So again, were you so much trying to leave when I talk about how I made the last ward? I think, but I listened. To, yes, yeah. I heard you say that. Yes, so it's another one of his Mister mm-hmm. Potato Head, as he says, cocktails, mm-hmm. and it's kind of it takes its inspiration from um, the last word too. But instead, this is it's it's not equal proportions. So he plays with all the different proportions, but it has 
Aperol, Maraschino, uh, Mezcal, but I split the base and did Mezcal and tequila because it was also for my mother-in-law's semi-retirement party at the beach, and she doesn't love Mezcal, but I wanted to have some of it in there, and um, lime juice. Mm -hmm. And it is so freaking good. And I think I would have pictures of this. I made a picture. Well, there was like twelve people. You made a board. I made a picture. Yes, I made a board, and then I poured it out. Because then I was like, I could. I made it. And I pre diluted it, and then I just kind of shook it to keep, get it even colder. So I diluted it even more. So people had like one or two, and then went to bed. Um, <laughs> but that was fun. I also like. I dabbled a little bit in boxed wine over the breach. Ah. The two that I took. Oh, I know what you took. Yeah. Yeah, they were fine. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say what the brands were. Um, and then otherwise, yeah, we didn't, we didn't go, it was interesting though. We, we went out to eat one of the nights, like as all of the, all of the kids and their partners and we left the, the babies and children with the grandparents, Oh, nice! which was, uh, terrifying. But, um, <laughs> but when we went to dinner, it was interesting to see like sort of what the cocktails were that were trending. So first of all, I ordered a daiquiri. I should have known. I was like. It was off menu, and I was like, "Can I get a daiquiri?" You did what? You Naomi, ordered a daiquiri Naomi, off menu because Naomi was like, "We did all the all the cocktails." I know this was this was a topic that Zach wanted to talk about today, but we shot him down. But all the cocktails were sweet; like they were all very <laughs> sweet, and you could tell they all had sweet ingredients. And Naomi was like, "I don't really want any of these. You think they can just make us a daiquiri?" And I was like, "Sure, we're at the beach. These look like decent cocktails. I just shouldn't have." <laughs> and uh, we ordered daiquiris, and she was like cool and i was like you have white rum right and she's like yeah and then the daiquiris came out looking like swamp water because they used a dark rum oh. and i was like oh man it was fine it was just like not what we thought it was gonna be um and then the other thing that was like all the rage at this place was barrel aged cocktails still oh. so like barrel aged they had a barrel aged negroni they had a barrel aged manhattan they had a barrel aged old-fashioned and it was interesting to me. I thought, like, because you don't see that at all, really, in New York. Mm-mm. But this was, like, and lots of people were drinking the barrel-aged cocktails. I and I was like, cool, guys. Cool. Well, I had an atrocious cocktail. Really? Also, called the Dirty Fig. And what? it was, like, <laughs> it was awful. I don't Wait, know that why wasn't I the, it. That wasn't the restaurant next to the Prairie Whale? No. no. <laughs> it was a dirty martini riff oh, with, God. like, some sort of house-made fig oh i don't know i panicked you know though you know what we both did (laughs) we both ordered variations and that's what we're talking about today yeah Yeah, so josh and we're looking at data recently that comes from our own vine pair insights product and i think what we've we've continued to see which is really interesting is that variations when it comes to consumers for cocktails are by far the most popular form of cocktail. And so what I mean by that is we would in the industry call them riffs, but they are just a slight twist on a classic cocktail the consumer is already familiar with. That's what they like to make at home. That's what they like to search for. And that's like what they like to order out. I thought what was so interesting about that is that I think it shows that while we think the consumer is still somewhat we, we like to think the consumer is adventurous. I think we've said this about wine too, right? They really aren't, right? Like they are comfortable with the old-fashioned and they will drink riffs on the old-fashioned, whether that's a tequila old-fashioned, a mezcal old-fashioned, a rum old-fashioned. But like they like the old-fashioned as a concept, right? And the martini, I'm going to say something blasphemous. I think one of the reasons the espresso martini is so popular is because to a lot of consumers in their brain, it is a martini variation, 
right? That's Martini is in the name. So wild. Wild. But it is. It's a it's a variation of a martini. It is not at all a martini, no. right? <laughs> but to the consumer in what they are trying what they are comfortable with, it is a variation. Obviously, the most popular variations are margarita variations. Mm-hmm. Spicy margarita, mango margarita, strawberry margarita, watermelon margarita. Tommy's all margarita. margaritas. Tommy's margarita. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> um, and I think the variation is a is a really interesting concept because I don't think we talk about it enough as an industry, especially when it comes to like what actually will work on bar programs and what brands should think about when they're thinking about cocktails to circle around for how they how they target and market to consumers. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, we should, you know, what we should do we should go all in on the penicillin. Nope. It's an original cocktail. It's very hard to make. Nobody understands it. It's not a variation of anything. Well, it, I mean, it's a, it is a version of a sour, but we also don't think of the sour as a, a cocktail, right? It is a family of cocktails as right. opposed to a, 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 a classic cocktail. Mm-hmm. So, no, you should instead do – this is a whiskey margarita. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, amazing. thought it was interesting. What do you guys think? Well, I think the, the most interesting thing to me here is that disconnect that we're seeing between – what drinkers want and are interested in and what bartenders want and are interested in and why that disconnect might exist. And I want to start on the really quickly on the consumer side. I think a big part of why these riffs are so popular or these variations are so popular is a lack of familiarity. I mean, you both kind of laughed and I don't disagree at this sort of notion that anyone could confuse an espresso martini with a martini. Like, the, other than the fact that the word martini is in the name, which obviously gets has gotten appended to a lot of things like the porn star martini, et cetera, right? Not a martini in any fashion that we would consider it. It is true that for people who are not in our world but like to drink, like cocktails, the components of a given drink, even ones that we might consider to be so, uh, you know, kind of iconic and so universal that like how could someone not know what's in a manhattan how could someone not know what's in a margarita i mean people probably know it has tequila in it but like i was talking about making margaritas to someone not that long ago and they were like oh do you have sour mix and i was like uh no i have limes (laughs) i mean i'm gonna juice them but like that whole thing where we you know sort of you know in the the media and and in trade in general take a level of consumer familiarity with these drinks and these recipes for granted is I think a a misplaced one. Yes. Obviously there are very, very knowledgeable and informed cocktail drinkers out there, but there's a lot of people who like drinking cocktails who couldn't tell you the ingredients in most, even again, classic cocktails, iconic cocktails, cocktails, they drink regularly, certainly not ratios and things like that. So that when you frame a new drink as a riff on something they're familiar with, and might already like it makes them much more willing to take a chance. I mean, again, you think about how one of the ways that spirits have worked their way into the kind of cocktail culture, Amaro is a great example of this, right? Amaro's entry point into cocktail culture was not Amaro-centric drinks that no one had ever heard of. It was as a sub in a Manhattan. It was as a sub in a you know, Negroni template. It was as a sub in lots of cocktails that allowed a bartender to show a drinker a different side of a drink to showcase a different spirit and to put that spirit in a context where the person picking up the glass and, and, and drinking it could be prepared to understand it. And I think that your point, Adam, about why brands should be very leery of tying a promotion to a drink that doesn't have wide 
kind of recognition is a good one. But I even think as a bar, you need to be very careful about overloading your cocktail list with custom creations that have no clear frame of reference for people because understanding what is in a drink and what it will taste like is a very tall ask, even of us. I mean, if you look at cocktail lists, if we were to pull up 50 cocktail lists from bars around the country, good cocktail bars, and many of them are presented in the same fashion, which is just a list of ingredients, no proportions, no you know, kind of broader uh, explanation of the cocktail, unless it's framed as, you know, such and such old fashioned, such and such Manhattan, such and such whatever, we're not necessarily going to have a great feel for the drink because, you know, the ingredients you use matter, but the proportions matter more and the technique behind it matters mm-hmm. too. So bars and bartenders always want to be doing, or many of them want to be doing new things. And I, that's great. That's a super fun energy to have in the industry, but it can really quickly leave behind even relatively seasoned drinkers to say nothing of people who are relatively new to cocktails. Yeah. Adam mentioned this earlier that, you know, people like to think of themselves as adventurous, Mm -hmm. but ultimately it doesn't really prove to be the case. But I do feel like riffs specifically are a way for people to feel adventurous. Yeah, I do too. Right. And, and, oh, sorry, what I was going to say is that I feel like on menu, I've seen menus where it's like, this is, if it's a cocktail has a name and says like, this is a riff on a whatever old fashioned, like to actually tell consumers that that's what they're getting. Um, but I yeah, think that's really smart. And yeah, like, I think it's so smart. More people should do it. Like, I think it's, it's funny. Cause you know, sometimes I'll go out drinking with Tim McCurdy and they'd be like, Oh mate, this is a riff on this. This is a riff on that. And <laughs> people who can tell based on sort of like what spirits are using are very, very few and far between. Yeah. But the people that can tell are like, cool, I'm going to definitely order this because I like this style of cocktail. But I think Joanna, like you might've just given one of the greatest ideas you could have ever given to most bar owners, which is just put the fucking what what it's a riff on on your menu, please. Yeah. Especially if you give it a name that isn't like this is a, a, a mezcal margarita. Especially if you call it like El Diablo de, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. Fucking say what it is. I know, but I think that there's a reluctance to do that lest your bar program seem too basic. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. Like everyone's on TikTok. They're basic. <laughs> Have you not? <laughs> like most people are basic. They go to Coachella. They're basic. <laughs> Like, like seriously, like they go and they shop at like Zara and H&M. They're basic. Like, Well, I guess it's like if you if everything on your cocktail program is a riff on an existing cocktail, like will you ever be taken seriously among your peers? Will you ever be considered for awards or recognition? Right. I mean, I guess the different I guess the thing here is like there's only so many cocktail bars that can ever be taken seriously by their peers and can win (laughs) awards and most people just are in it to make a living and be successful and like for those people i would say (laughs) say what the riff is okay (laughs) you know like i don't know i think i think a lot of people try to get too cutesy with it and obviously everyone is like influenced by um the the cocktail bars that have won all of the awards in the first place. Sure. So like, oh, well, these places have these original cocktails, these modern classics, if you will. They created these drinks that now everyone makes, like the Naked and Famous, you know, or the Penicillin, et cetera, the Paper Plane. But it, that, that doesn't happen that often, especially anymore, right? Yeah. Especially anymore. So just like say what this is a version of. Like this is our sort of – our take on a on a Manhattan with – 
you know, rot. I don't know. Just yeah. come on. Well, and I think a hugely valuable thing for bars to do, too, is to own when making a really good version of a classic cocktail is what you want to yeah. do. You know, I also think a Manhattan remains an excellent cocktail. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to riff on it at all to make a great drink. And you can make a statement as a bar based specifically on the ingredients you choose to make a very classic formulation of that drink. The whiskey you choose, the vermouth you choose, the bitters you choose. Those are all places where you can set your drink apart or at least create something that is still relatively unique to your bar. And it doesn't have to deviate one iota from the classic format. And if you want to go a little bit beyond it, that's cool too. I just think there's this belief and it, it comes from all ends. You know, it comes from a certain kind of bartender and bar proprietor, but it also comes from a certain kind of customer that like, if you're not constantly creating new drinks, you're not a real bartender. You're not a real bar that like right. innovation is king. And I think, look, again, we benefit as drinkers from a wide spectrum of different kinds of bars and approaches. And it's cool that there are bars out there pushing the boundaries. I think a dangerous thing, or at least a, a thing that's less exciting for me at the moment, is that a lot of that pushing of boundaries has gotten to a point where the technique involved is so involved, is so involved, so time consuming, so expensive, so elaborate, that it's not transferable, not just to at home bartending, but to even other professional bar settings in many cases, because people just don't have the the means to do some of these incredibly laborious, time consuming, precise, you know, kind of prep uh, projects. But even, even so, I think we've also just, you know, like, there's only so much tinkering you can do. There's only so much, you know, for all the ingredients that are out there, it's not as if every possible combination is a good one. <laughs> and I think that a lot of bars, and we've talked about this on the podcast in the past, a lot of places pass off experimentation as they pass off an experiment that is not fully formed as a fully formed drink. Mm -hmm. And that's a bummer. And I just think that, you know, it's maybe not as exciting to say, hey, we've really refined how we want to present this cocktail right how we want to present this classic or this riff on a classic but man bars that can do that that can sort of say it with their chest in that way I, those are some of my favorite bars because they're just they're not out here trying to to necessarily you know impress you with novelty but they mm -hmm. are trying to impress you with precision with technique with consistency and with producing an excellent drink that the person who orders it stands a very good chance of both knowing what they're getting in advance and then appreciating it when it gets their lips and yeah. coming back. Yes, that too. I, I honestly am more excited by those types of places and those menus than I am by the ones that are like overly inventive. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I agree. Like I'd rather have, I'd rather <clears throat> see how you interpret some of these classics mm -hmm. that I already know I'm really into yep. than guess whether or not I may or I, I may like it, you know, like my fire water experience. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that everyone you know, out there in the listener verse or whatever uh let us know what you think in terms of riffs podcast.com are there riffs that you make that you are super yeah. into that we should know about maybe riffs we haven't thought about before. zach loves a riff zach loves a riff i know i feel like every other podcast we're learning about a riff a syrup he's made <laughs> a thing he subbed out but i think like i think what's that's what's so fun about riffs is it, it allows you to be creative even as a yep. home bartender right yep, even as for a sure. tour. yes um, cool. Well, guys, I'll talk to you on Friday. Have a great week. Sounds great. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So the Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire Vine Pair staff and everyone who's been involved in making Vine Pair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.